I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Syracuse is offering every big basketball player in the country week. Yeah, we're offering every big basketball player. We're trying to offer more 2022 football players, it looks like, based on some recent offers that have gone out. Uh, we got a player from Hawaii. We did get a player from Hawaii, which was, I think, our, I think it was noted our first scholarship player from Hawaii um, in school history. Jeff Chan was a walk-on. Uh, and he was a kicker on the team for a season or two, but he, he was the first player ever from Hawaii uh, in any capacity. Yeah. Pretty eventful week overall for uh, mid June. Yeah. I mean, I know we still like have like a lot of questions about whether the season starts or happens or happens on time or whatever, but uh, it's definitely been busy. Uh, there's definitely been a lot going on. Um, quick note that uh, Beheim's army was seated third in the bracket. Uh, for the basketball tournament, they will mostly avoid um, some of the old foes until like a semifinal uh, matchup. Uh, they could face overseas elite, which would not be ideal. But if we got to the uh, the final four uh, and, and lost to overseas elite, which has Joe Johnson on the team this year, I could stomach that at least. But a, a bunch of the, I think a bunch of the teams we're used to seeing might not necessarily be there. Um, a lot of the teams that we've lost to in the past, however, are there. So uh, I think it'll be an exciting event. Hopefully we don't end up with some disastrous situation where Syracuse and Syracuse's team gets to like the final four and then somebody tests positive um, for coronavirus. And then the uh, per the rules, the team is completely removed from the event and then replaced. Uh, that would be a very Syracuse thing to happen. So I very much hope it does not happen. <laughs> that really is maybe the most Syracuse possible outcome. But yeah, knock on wood, uh, that, that does not come to play. Uh, I would much rather, you know, make a run of it. Um, but yeah, that's going to be the most interesting one. Overseas elites back. They're going to be tough as they always are. Um, although, you know, who knows with, with, a with a, you know, year off, if they'll be still in the same, like dynast dynastic form that they were in before. Um, but then they have a tough draw, I think, too, with like armored athlete and potential second game. They're usually one of the tougher, like smaller teams here. And then uh, the other side of the bracket, you know, the Ohio State team won last year. Um, they're hosting, which I, I don't think they'll be fans, right? They're yeah, no. So fans. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't know what the effect of like just knowing uh, the city that they'll be in is is going to have, but I'm sure it's something. Um, the market team's always tough, so it's uh, yeah, it's a, it should be a pretty eventful one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the event. It'll be a nice way to break things up. Again, hopefully we can everyone can stay healthy and it'll be a fun fun event that, that doesn't look like it normally does, but nothing really does anymore. So re you really shouldn't be that affected by it. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a shame not to be able to go to the games in Brooklyn or the games in Syracuse, which would have happened for those up there. But um, yeah, I mean, any sports, uh, every sport is, uh, is a, a godsend at this point. So I've watched a lot of golf, um, <laughs> some soccer. Uh, really enjoying those. So 
um, a little basketball uh, before the NBA starts back up. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I honestly have not really watched much in the way of like live sports, even since like some of them have come back here and there, like haven't been caught in front of NASCAR or golf. Um, haven't really been able to watch any Bundesliga stuff. I'll probably toss on uh, the West Ham game on Saturday uh, against Wolves just because it's like actually my team and I'm actually like invested because they're probably going to get relegated if they don't win a couple here at the end. But uh, yeah, like I, I, I feel like I've, I filled that time with like, obviously I love sports and, and, and I'll be happy to see it back, but it's, I, I'm very interested in how quickly I was able to kind of find other things to fill that time. Granted, I'm also like married with a kid and another kid on the way. So of course things are there to fill that time, but my mind did kind of like, allow me to like do other things and read books and comic books and watch other TV shows and play some more video games and run more and other things that I think like didn't always necessarily like sit on top of sports on the list of priorities. Yeah. I, like obviously I would love uh, for the NBA to come back tomorrow and like if baseball can figure itself out, I'll dive right back in on this shortened Met season and probably get disappointed from it. Um, but no, it's like, I, I, you know, I want them all back. It's, I, I don't feel like the ravenous, uh, like, you know, I haven't been like clawing at my skin because we don't have them. Um, but I think it just is everything else is so weird. And also like I work in it full time. So it's like, even without the actual sports, which I, which I enjoy, I'm like in the sports world, you know, five times, five days a week for however many hours a week. So it's, um, it's been, it's been weird. I, I think I would have expected to like, really be like clamoring for them more but i think once they're back i'll be very very happy to have them back as well yeah agreed i, I think you know you probably do a better job than i do of uh of, of like actually logging off um too which i'm sure kind of helps that separation but yeah i i'm looking forward to it i think a lot of the stuff like we don't have to talk about it on this episode but i think a lot of the conversations going on with um and the nba are interesting and i think there's a real cool opportunity i don't know if you read the uh that mark spears piece um, on the undefeated, but I thought it was really a lot of interesting points about how they can use uh, the platform in Orlando to really affect change and how the, they can get the NBA to invest in change, uh, which I thought was super cool. Um, I think that, you know, MLB, it's interesting to see kind of the dynamics of how, uh, how, how this country's baseball writers have basically, for the most part, like walked away from any sort of, not responsibility to the players, but have walked away from any sense that they're like that they're willing to be critical of like critical observers of the game and, and of the ownership and, and commissioner in particular, which has been interesting to watch. I think this country in general uh, covers labor labor strife uh, in a very weird way and, and almost always takes the side of um, of <laughs> you know the the, the corporate entity um, in, in these sorts of events and, and and it's not surprising to see baseball do the same here. Uh, but it's been interesting to play out, and, and I've been following a couple of different folks who've been kind of pointing out some of the journalistic issues around that and, and, and how it's being covered and how the players are, well, not perfect. Players Union is really trying to get back on the field, and it does seem like they might be able to do that. We might have an agreement as early as, like, the, you know, the weekend. Yeah, once again, knock on wood. Um, but, no, I think you raised a lot of really good points. It's been very strange. It's like, you know, you see in the NFL and the NBA, and you know – um even in the nfl which has like a pretty stark um breakdown of player and management um you've seen management have to to kowtow to the players a lot more this year um especially with everything that's going on um 
and MLB just seems so stuck in where it is. And I think part of that is probably because there's no salary cap. The players have more power generally than any other league, but the owners just like, it just it seems like they can't see the forest or the trees at all in preventing this from coming back. They could have been the first major sport back if they wanted to. Instead, they're, they're so worried about just the bottom line for 2020. And then to see most reporters, I think I would say like Jeff Passon's probably the only one who has been pretty fair about it um, and has called out the owners on this. But like almost everyone else just taking the, the ownership line um, and running with it. And, and it's definitely harder to like talk about a labor uh, issue when it's millionaires and billionaires. But like it's still it's it, once you just look at it like logically for a second, I don't I think you can figure out the difference, um, especially when you know, most baseball owners, you know, some of them come from, from, you know, built themselves up from the ground up, but like in any sport, so many owners are inheriting stuff. They're not uh, doing anything particularly uh, crazy in terms of like revolutionizing anything. Um, I mean, we see with the Mets, like they're just, <laughs> what are they like? Yeah. Okay. They did real estate and they uh, lost all their money and they can't seem to afford to actually field a baseball team. The, the Marlins are an absolute joke. Um, whoever made the, I forget who it was that made the point of like, you know, the, the owners are crying poverty and yet the Marlins can like basically fill their stadium 10% capacity for five years and still sell for billions of dollars in a market that clearly doesn't want the team, even with two right. world series in the relatively recent past. So yeah, um, the baseball thing has been frustrating and it's almost like, I mean, the, having the Wilpons own my team has been disheartening, but like it almost uh, makes it feel like, oh yeah, all these owners are really, really bad. So it's it's not <laughs> as drastic. Um, I'm just hoping that whoever buys the team, which seems inevitable now, will be uh, somewhat closer to the like, hey, let's actually do this thing right side. And I, I think that'll bear out in wins. But yeah, it's uh, a fascinating time. Um, hopefully they get it figured out because I... You know, I do think like after you give me like one Jacob to drum start and I'll be all back in. But for now, it's just been kind of disheartening to see um, what, you know, even today we had like a glimmer of hope and then, you know, people are shooting it down. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that glimmer was was accurate. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not going to be a, a labor strife podcast, but not yet. <laughs> not yet. Never know. If a book is away, we may. <laughs> <laughs> Sports don't come back. Who knows? Maybe maybe this turns into something else. But yeah, I, I, I not to derail the entire podcast with that, but I do think that's a very interesting dynamic to watch play out right now, especially with the backdrop of, uh, you know, racial injustice protests and things like that. Um, that kind of gets me to, I guess, our next point. Um, I know Kevin ran with something that, uh, that it seems being talked about in ACC circles of maybe involving some sort of... Um, HBCU ACC event or, you know, a handful of ACC schools playing HBCUs. I, I know when I was talking to Kevin about the article and I think we talked about in the comments too, like one of the big things with, with that is while I think it'd be really cool to, to have a bunch of the ACC schools face uh, historically black colleges and universities. I do think putting them on HBCU campuses and getting ESPN cameras there, ACC network cameras there, and, and shining a spotlight on the, the, the traditions there and, and, and the program histories and things like that is really like integral to this working. Obviously, like, you know, any, any ACC school can get a buy game with, uh, w- with an HBCU or, or, or another low major um, school and, and win by 40 and move on. And, and, and I don't think we're trying to necessarily make this event that even if it ends up happening um, more often than not. In this sort of event, you know, if a Duke or Louisville or even a Syracuse goes goes somewhere, 
Um, it seems likely that, you know, the, the visiting team, given their resources, would be able to win. But just being able to shine a spotlight on them and, and kind of spreading the love midseason and, and making a cool event like this uh, seems like it at least has some legs. Uh, Dan, I, I know we can't have like a midseason tournament, but I could see one being kind of fun for, for the ACC facing, you know, MEAC and SWAC schools and, and some of the other assorted HBCUs that have, uh, that have left those leagues. I know Tennessee State's one of them, and there, there's definitely a few others um, that are escaping me right now. I think Hampton left um, as well. Uh, just schools that are, you know, not in those two leagues, but still w- would be fun to, to include them in an event like this. Yeah, I, I, you know, didn't really think about much about it until Kevin wrote the article. I think it's a great idea. And like you said, it only really makes sense if uh, if it's on HBCU campuses. And maybe you can even just do like a return game the following year if they wanted to just even it out. Um, but uh, no, I think it'd be awesome for like a, a day or a weekend. Like uh, I think uh, MLK weekend uh, day was proposed. Um that you just like showcase it. Um, and it would be a thrill for those programs to have a Syracuse or a Duke or UNC on campus. And like, um, obviously I, I don't think it'll even matter much if like these teams don't have a huge chance of winning except for Boston college, but um, just to get that exposure, um, which is starting to be pushed a little bit more. Uh, Mikey Williams, the five-star 2023 uh, recruit has sent some waves where he seems to be like legitimately considering going to an HBCU with everything that's happening right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be a real positive. Uh, I think it'd be a win for the ACC. Um, and yeah, I, I, I fully support it. I think it's a great idea. That's the thing too. Like there's a real opportunity here for the ACC, largely stationed in the South where a lot of the HBCUs are. Obviously they can really make a difference in communities where like the ACC hasn't necessarily always been, I think maybe as helpful. Doesn't mean the ACC has never done anything, but it's to say that the ACC has never necessarily prioritized doing anything for HBCUs and never necessarily involving them in a ton of things. Like there's exceptions. Duke plays NC Central a lot. Um, some of the other schools, you know, play HBCU, HBCUs with some some frequency. But I, I do think that there there's a cool opportunity here. There's a cool opportunity for for ESPN uh, to be able to you know just again put that spotlight on schools and maybe it's again maybe maybe it's not a tournament. Maybe it's you know, showcase eight games a year or even four games a year and just like do a little bit of a rotation among ACC um, and, and HBCU programs. But cool opportunity here. And I hope that, uh, that the powers that be, you know, m- make it happen because it's really a, it's, it's, it's a win all around and, and, and a really cool thing that, that, they, that they'd be able to do. Yeah. And it seems like a thing they could do for, you know, it, I'm sure this year is probably too late, but like 20, uh, 2021, 22, it wouldn't be too hard to schedule, especially in basketball where schedules are actually put together in a uh, logical time frame, uh, <laughs> unlike college football. Yeah, Mississippi State and Washington State scheduled for 2030 and 2031 today. There we go. I think the, I mean, some of the, I don't know if we've hit 2040 yet, but we were like not far off. I think there are I think some OU 20... has one. I think OU and Nebraska might have a 2040 game. Yeah, oh, I think we have a 2038 against Notre Dame, or at least a 2036 against Notre Dame. Yeah, there are definitely some 36, 37s. I'm, I'm going to look because you you might very well be right. Yeah, I, I feel like OU was OU, Georgia, Clemson, and a few others were some of the ones scheduling like way way out. Uh, I see 36 for for OU on FB schedules, but I don't know if they just like haven't bothered putting up ones beyond that. Um, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty nonsensical, and obviously, you know, those games can get canceled and drop a hat. 
um, too. I think it's just the, the idea of locking in those opponents. Same time, like I, you know, I, I might mock Mississippi State and Kansas State and Kansas State and Washington State and all these other schools for like scheduling out really far, but they're also doing a very good job of scheduling the right schools, and that's really not leaving a lot for Syracuse. Um, you know, we've talked, we don't have to talk about this for more than 10 seconds on here, but realistically, like, you know, SU should be facing Kansas, Iowa State, Rutgers, maybe Maryland. Um, you know, Oregon State, Colorado, uh, and a handful of other schools, um, you know, every year as a non-conference P5, I mean, Vandy can go on that list. Um, but the problem is like everybody else is thinking through the same thing. And, and, and a lot of our peer schools in that group, um, probably the bottom, you know, 10 to 12 schools in, in the P5, they're thinking the same way and they're scheduling each other and SU is kind of left holding the bag here. So I, I do hope that that changes. Um, we've had a lot of time, I think, I would think to, to just schedule out everything for, for the next decade and a half if we wanted to during this break. Um, and unfortunately, while other schools have been busy uh, filling schedules, we have not really, uh, we, we've not done anything on that front, um, unless the uh, Nicole Auerbach piece that mentions we have SC, FCS schools scheduled for some recent seasons uh, actually comes to fruition. Because I've, uh, I've, yet to, I've yet to see a confirmation of, of who those schools might be. And even that, like, those are the easiest tools to get on the schedule. Right. Like, you can get an FCS in less than a year. Um, there's almost always one that's willing to take, you know, take the money. So um, I don't even know if that's, like, a major accomplishment. No. <laughs> Not in the least, actually. Yeah. But moving away from football scheduling, as we, uh, as we do sometimes around here. Not all the time, but sometimes. Uh, we mentioned some recruiting stuff earlier. We're going to jump into some recruiting stuff here uh, before we get to the midway point of this episode, you know, obviously Syracuse has done a pretty solid job of like bouncing back for 2021 with a good class 2022 wise. Uh, it does seem like, you know, players are starting to at least entertain where they're going. schools are sending out more offers lately. Uh, now the dead period's over. Um, Syracuse sent out a few different offers uh, this week, uh, a couple four and five star kids. It seems like, I mean, I, I don't know anything, you know, inside information about this, but given how old Jim Beheim's going to be at the end of the 2023 season, given that Buddy's going to graduate in 2022, it does sort of seem like with Dior Johnson already in the fold that Jim's kind of loading up to see if 2022 to 23 can be like the year. Um, and maybe that's like the last hurrah is this, uh, you know, potentially title bound team, which would be, Fitting, and I think a lot of fun, uh, because A, national championship, obviously, but B, um, for, for as curmudgeonly as Jim can be sometimes, uh, Jim obviously cares about legacy, and, and and I think that him going out a champion would be a really interesting dynamic and a, and a fitting conclusion to his career that a lot of people haven't really been able to like nail down, and I think this would help seal that narrative in his favor pretty well. Yeah, it certainly seems like since we got D.R. Johnson, this has been like the swing. Like, you know, he promised that if he comes, he's going to recruit pretty heavily. And, and you know, obviously I think we're in pretty good shape with like the Chance uh, Chance Westry. We now uh, reached out with these offers to a number of other four and five star kids. So uh, I think that's the big the big swing for Bayheim. Because like, you know, reasonably he can't coach that many that far beyond that anyway. So um, I'm all for him. If he thinks he can get the recruiting push, just like just go for it and and see what you can do. And you know, if that's a, a final, uh, you know, the final hurrah, I think it to be a pretty special one. 
Yeah, I mean, if we end up with a team of one and duns and they all leave after a 2023 championship, I think we can all survive. And honestly, like, even if that happens and you come, you know, you win the title, you don't win the title, um, it'll be, I mean, obviously it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with the job after that, but you'll either be able to sell, like, uh, you know, this is kind of a total rebuild, but you can remake the the roster in your image if you're a coach from the outside. Or if it's someone from the inside, especially with how recruiting has been on an uptick, and it's, you know, someone like Jerry McNamara or uh, or Red or Allen, like, you know, those guys have probably kind of earned it a little bit more on the recruiting trail if they're going to get those kind of guys. So I think it offers, just as a hypothetical, and obviously it's not that hard to just say, like, yes, it would be very cool for us to have a bunch of five-star players at the end of Jim Pam's career. But, like, it would be an interesting way to then transition um, the program if that's how things kind of wind up going. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. You know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with name, name image, and likeness uh, regulations. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of uh, player compensation. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of the age minimum either for the NBA draft and the G League. Uh, I think those things all factor in here. But, yeah, realistically, like, if SU suddenly shows itself able, Jim Beheim or not, um, able to show itself, you know, show itself as a as a capable, um, you know, destination for five stars. That you know, it's not just one a year, but 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 you know, two to three, and suddenly we're competing um, for those top players against the Dukes and Kentuckys of the world, and suddenly we're you know a, a you know almost annual like Final Four contender. Like, I mean, yeah, that's a fever dream for a lot of Syracuse fans, self included, but. That does, yeah, change the dynamic a ton for 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 fans, for players, for incoming coaches, for for anyone that's associated with the program, and it changes a lot about, you know, how we define ourselves too. And I think, you know, Syracuse fans always, because the program sits in this place, always sits in that weird limbo between like uh, tier one programs, uh, you know, that are the longstanding blue bloods of the sport, um, plus Duke, and then there's like us, Michigan State, Louisville, and a bunch of other schools that are all like. And I think SU is kind of at the bottom of that tier two list, but I think winning another one and then suddenly showing yourself able to compete for that top talent on an annual basis. And maybe we are after this, who knows, um, does change the dynamic a lot and, and then starts to create a new conversation around SU as a program. And potentially even after Jim leaves, there's, there's a possibility that SU in a short amount of time is able to elevate itself uh, maybe into uh, that conversation more on par with a Michigan State or a Louisville versus where they are right now, which is like a UConn, Georgetown, like Arizona level. I think Georgetown's probably fallen out of that level, but I, I agree on the rest. <laughs> um, yeah, I was more giving some deference to uh, to the 80s and, and, and part of the 90s, but, but, but I do agree with you. I, I think it's probably um, more accurate to leave them off that list. Yeah, they haven't accomplished anything in like, over 10 13 years now um yeah no i, I think uh the other side of it which we, i think we just talked about last week is like you can't just have this be the go for broke strategy so you need to have a reasonable level of confidence to pull something like this off without like then going down your list so hopefully it it is a balance but it, it seems like for the first time in a while we're really ramping up on these kind of players and going after them early and making them a, a priority so hopefully uh, the team, the, the the coaching staff especially, is like pretty confident about it, and it's not just like a go for broke thing, which I don't think it would be. I don't know why. I don't think Bayheim's so desperate to win another one that he would do something that would be against, um, you know, the the best for the team. So um, it's something to get excited about. But I think you know, if we land one more of these guys to go with Johnson, then 
I think you'll really see like, okay, here we, here we, we're, we're ramping this up. Let's, let's see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, depending on who they get in this group, um, I know they have the offer out to uh, Lance, who's a top 30 kid. They had the offer the other day out to uh, Jarris Walker. If they get Walker, Walker's also a top 10 to 15 kid. They could end up with two top 10 ish guys. Uh, that would be like historically great recruiting class. And the sort of thing that like only really like Duke and Kentucky have been able to do. So we'll see. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Just seems, just, just seems interesting at, at the very least. Yeah, it, it, we'll see. Uh, like you said, it's, it's, I want to see them get them first because it's been a while <laughs> since we've, I mean, obviously Dior Johnson's like a pretty historic level recruit assuming he gets here, but um, it's just like a, you know, I want to see us be able to get back to that level where we were a couple of years ago before I, totally buy in and uh, or or before i say like oh if we don't do this we're a failure because i don't think that's fair either yeah i think that's totally fair um dan one more thing before halftime just wanted to talk about uh syracuse football's new edition uh cody roscoe from uh mcneese state it's where uh sterling gilbert was the head coach last year he joins us he's a defensive end uh really good edge rusher for the most part had 11 tackles for loss and uh, nine of those were sacks last year uh he's pretty disruptive in passing lanes and we'll see if he contends with uh, Josh Black for that other defensive end spot um, opposite uh, Kingsley Jonathan. But realistically, he still brings in, you know, more experienced depth than anybody else they really have on the line right now um, beyond the starters and could make for really sizable and, and uh, lethal kind of fourth player rotation in that 3-3-5 uh, that scheme, which you have to be excited about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, no, I think I mean it's a, it's a position of need. It's a dire. It's a spot where we lose about as much talent as anywhere. Um, and he's you know if if nothing else, like he has uh, real pass pass rushing experience. Nine sacks at the FCS level last year, um, despite being uh, you know kind of an undersized guy. But I think like those kind of players can really thrive at the you know at the college level. Maybe not the NFL, but um, I think he could definitely do damage in the Power Five given. You know, really, what his last two years looked like. He's been a pretty effective player since being thrust into Manise um, State's starting lineup as a freshman. So, um, yeah, I'm real. And then the, the pass breakup thing is is very Elton Robinson to me. Like just getting up on on a uh, reading the quarterback uh, release points. The fact that he had sits in one game is really impressive from the defensive end spot. Um, so yeah, I mean, these, these guys aren't like a thousand percent hit, uh, but you know, we've had some some solid luck, especially on the defensive line with uh, defensive line uh, with. Uh, fcs and juco transfers so i'm really excited about it i think it's a spot that we definitely needed to add someone like this and uh, he seems like a really high quality guy that we were didn't even really have on the radar until recently um and the fact that he, you know he and sterling dilbert had a good relationship helps um so yeah no I'm, I'm very excited about this one and the fact that he can play right away is huge yeah i mean the fact you know mcneese state had the uh, postseason ban this uh, for 2020 so that allowed him to get the waiver so he'll be a senior this year, so we'll only get him for one season. But still, I think it's a nice stopgap. We have a pretty experienced and veteran line, really. We could have, um, you know, we should have four seniors on the well, four red, seniors or redshirt seniors on the line this year. Uh, Jonathan 
and uh, and Roscoe would be uh, just seniors, and then uh, you know fifth year guys with uh, with McKinley Williams and Josh Black makes next year a little harrowing, <laughs> and, and and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But yeah, I, I do like this as just a way to make me feel at least a little bit better. And he's someone who can play, you know, maybe a linebacker hybrid role um, if needed. That doesn't help in the three three five setup because that rover isn't necessarily a uh, a you know line hybrid. But at the same time, like we'll see how how flexible Tony White's scheme is, and we'll see how flexible he is um, in terms of you know just bringing an additional pass rusher again, especially a guy like him who's who's probably similar to uh, to a Tyrell Richards. In, in, in terms of build. No, I totally agree. And that's that's going to be one of the fun things to see what that like rover type position looks like in the 3-5. Three, three, um, and we don't know that it's like definitely going to be like a safety or an extra linebacker. Like it could be a spot where, you know, it looks a little bit more like a 3-4 stack or something and and you have a, a pass rusher off the edge. And if we want to get him as a, as a standing type player because we have, you know, the Josh Blacks and the Kingsley Jonathans, um, yeah, there's definitely some potential there. I'm I'm really excited to see how it plays out, but uh, it's just uh, it's nice that the, the the staff is still looking for quality additions like this this late in the off season. Agreed, agreed. Dan, uh, why don't we transition to some beer quick before we talk about the Mac? Uh, what have you been drinking lately? Uh, more New Jersey stuff here. I got some carton stuff, um, some boat beer, obviously uh, one of the staples in this whole state. I also got their Monkey Chase the Weasel, which is a uh, mulberry sour, which I thought was decent. Not my favorite uh, from them, but, but pretty decent. Um, and then I got more stuff from Heavy Reel down at Seaside, which continues to be a really nice surprise. Uh, I got their uh, thick uh, backflip guava sour, which is really delicious. Drinks almost like a smoothie, honestly, like has kind of a thicker mouthfeel, um, not overly sour, but really nice fruit flavor. Um, really interesting beer. And then also the Ryan's Beer uh, Double Dry Hop IPA, which is also like one of the better IPAs I've had in a while. So they're uh, they're doing some good work down there. I'm, I'm really excited to have uh, found them and supported them a little bit. Very nice. Uh, I assume you haven't had any uh, Three Floyds yet at the, uh, at the local shops. Uh, I haven't been to an actual liquor store. Actually, no, that's a lie. I didn't. I I went the other day um, when I bought the carton. I didn't see any three Floyds, although I kind of forgot uh, to look for it. But uh, I'll have to do that again before I head back to Connecticut in a few days. I mean, who knows how long it stays on shelves? Of course, but that's that's a good point. That's a good point as well. Uh, on my end, had a couple things uh, from Highland Park. Had uh, their Good Green uh, West Coast IPA, uh, really really good, drinkable, seven percent uh, IPA with Amarillo, Citra, and Simcoe. Uh, nice uh, kind of mix of you know grassy, piney uh, notes with some tropical flavors in there. Uh, definitely a good beer from them. And you know, I, I've mentioned this before. The fact that I can get Highland Park delivered now on a weekly basis potentially <laughs> has been a uh, one of the better and and, and worst things of this uh, of this quarantine. Uh, finished off the Timbo pills that I had from Highland Park as well. Uh, seller maker from San Francisco is shipping around the state, so had uh, from them. Their uh, Moon Sisters Sour uh, was um, Blackberry Sour. That was super good. Um, and, you know, like a lot of like berry sours get like super sharp and kind of tart. Uh, this actually was like fairly mild for the most part. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, didn't have any heartburn issues as a result. Always a positive. And then also had, um, I had stopped by a friend's place to drop off some beer. And uh, they just tossed me, while well, I was talking to them, they uh, tossed me a bottle of uh Hop solo while I was drinking out on their porch and saying hello from 10 to 12 feet away. <laughs> so uh, that one was Sierra Nevada. Nothing crazy, but 
just a, uh, I mean, they usually do a good job of just putting out a couple like, you know, par for the course IPAs and pale ales a year. And I, I, I never mind having one of theirs. Very nice. Yes, I will be up in, uh, I'll either be in New York or Connecticut next week. So I'll have to kind of shift my state by state beer drinking uh, accordingly. Although I have a lot of beer down here. So uh, I should probably continue to drink that before I buy much more. Yeah, that's always my problem. I have a, I have a beer fridge full of, a beer fridge with like a seven year vertical of Black Tuesday, which is problematic because they're all like 19 to 21% alcohol beers. And I, like my wife has been drinking for most of the last few years. And I can't drink that on my own, nor should anyone. And now we can't have people over. So <laughs> now I just have all this beer I can't drink. Um, but we'll figure it out. Even if, I mean, luckily it's, you know, all barrel aid stuff, so you can keep it for a while. But it's, uh, it's, it's definitely definitely a, a balance for me of like, you know, ordering new stuff. And then also like just getting through what I have at a reasonable clip without like over drinking. <laughs> Yeah, I also bought a 2017, I think, KBS uh, the other day, or nice. like a week or a couple of weeks ago, which uh, I'm now holding on to. So I, that, that might be the uh, wait until uh, coronavirus is pretty much over drink. But I keep on forgetting I have that sitting in here. Uh, so I need to remember to not leave that down the shore. Ooh. Although, you know what? I mean, if you do, then you put another year on it, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I should like actually try to look at, look at aging it. Uh, and it might not be the worst place, although it just might get hot during the summer. Yeah. But yeah, you know, KBS is always great. And yeah, in a couple of years, I could see that uh, tasting really good for you. Uh, all right, Dan, let's talk a little Mac. Uh, obviously, everyone's familiar with the Mid-American Conference. Uh, we, I, I don't have a list in front of me, but I feel like we faced a Mac team most seasons for the last like 15 years. It's got to be our most commonly played um, group of five by a large margin. I mean, it makes sense. Like, realistically, most of the teams in the Sun Belt weren't FBS, um, you know, 10 years ago. Most of the CUSA teams are all in, like, SEC-centric hubs um, or weren't in FBS 10 years ago. Um, Mountain West, we just don't bother with it because it's not advantageous to them or us. And then the American, like... Either they're former CUSA schools that we like haven't played since we were in a conference back in the early nineties, or they're, you know, former conference mates of ours that we haven't played a ton since we left. So that, that leaves the Mac. Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, it aligns with like, you know, we have some recruiting out there for when we make these weird trips out there for like the CMU game or the Akron game a while ago. Um, yeah. But they're also like generally pretty beatable teams. Um, and, you know, you also have some relationships now on, on some of these staffs. Uh, obviously, Western Michigan, we had from the Schaefer years, and they've been uh, pretty consistent. And then now you have Kent State, which is uh, probably the, one of the best stories in college football last year under Sean Lewis, um, jumping up to win their first bowl game, uh, go seven and seven and six after starting three and six. So um, I think I know we were both following that pretty intently uh, as they had that turnaround last season. Um and what has been largely deemed one of the toughest jobs in all of college football. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I don't, I don't see Lewis being there too much longer. Although at the same time, most of the big 10 where he would be the mo- the easiest fit. Uh, most of the big tens actually uh, made like good and like long-term hires of late. So I don't really know like where he ends up. 
going, but I, I think he's getting a, diff, a new job soon, especially with like the money problems that Kent State's already like shown that they have with a uh, with just a few months into coronavirus and everything. Yeah, that that worries me for him. I, I hope he doesn't get screwed by that. Um, but I also think on top of the Big Ten, just kind of being in a pretty fresh coach cycle, and like maybe like Minnesota opens if if um, Fleck gets a bigger job or if Illinois decides that last year wasn't enough for Lovey, um, that could open. But, like, obviously, Rutgers isn't going to and for a bit. Maryland might be able to open after a year, but I don't know if that's, like, a super great fit for Lewis. Um, but also just, like, factoring in the coronavirus stuff, like, I think that this coming year will be one of the tougher, uh, most lean job markets. I just don't think a lot of these schools are going to be willing to pay big buyouts. No, not, there's no point, especially when you don't really know what this season, never mind next season, is going to bring. Um, realistically, if you can keep a coach around uh, throughout all this, this tumult, and it's just really, it's going to be hard, especially for coaches like Dino, not like he was on the hot seat, but it's going to be hard for coaches, not in traditional hotbeds um, to, to evaluate what they are and who they are and their ability to bring in talent. Um, so, so that's going to just become, you know, an additional factor. And yeah, like you said, with all these schools hemorrhaging money, um, I don't know how you could talk yourself into a, you know, $10 million buyout potentially. No, it just doesn't, doesn't seem to add up. Now, there's obviously some schools that will, if they're, and more likely in the SEC, like, if they feel like they need to do it, they'll do it. Um, but even those, like, the, the SEC had so much turnover last year. I think this is just going to be one of those years where there are, like, maybe a handful of, like, really, you know, relatively major Power 5 jobs opening. Um, and then 2021 could just be, like, a real, like, bloodletting as, as a result. Which, like, yeah, let's hope that doesn't affect us. So that doesn't affect us. Let's hope that doesn't affect Sean Lewis. Um, and if he, you know, he doesn't get stuck in like between cycles and then have 10 states like program fold or something crazy, um, which would be really, really awful. Um, but yeah, no, just overall, like, uh, you know, there's something fun about the Mac. Obviously, it's not it's not a great lead. The East was particularly brutal last year, which is part of the reason why he was able to win seven games there. And why, why uh, like Miami, Ohio was able to win eight games. And like some of these Buffalo had a lot of turnover and they did well. But uh it's, you know, I think there's something fun about having them around, having the Wednesday night games. They're pretty identifiable as like, oh, yeah, it's a Mac game versus the confusion of like the Conference USA Sunbelt stuff. Um, even if like on a team per team basis, they're they're down this the last couple of years. And also, while we were talking, I did look up. We faced a Mac team um, almost every year for the last 20 seasons. 01, 2012, 2013 and 2016 are the uh, are the exceptions. Yeah, I was going to say 2012, I would almost guarantee we did not just because of what that schedule was. What we did instead was win part of a conference. That's what yeah. we did instead. Um, <laughs> we, we decided that we're, no, we're going to play in that part of the country, just not exactly who you think we should be playing. Just, just Big Ten and SEC teams. We're going to play in Michigan, but it's not. Oh, God. Yeah, um, we, we, we helped out there, too, because UCF was in the MAC weirdly for a couple of years. I totally forgot about that. UCF's done the dumbest things. Um, <laughs> I knew that in, like, the back of my brain, but, like, well, that was what, like, the, that was... That was, like, 02 to, like, 05. Yeah. The Mac's That's really... Because, like, Temple was in there for a few seconds, too. Temple was... Um, I need to go through... What are, who are some of the other... Yes, yeah, UMass was, was more recent. Hanger on. Former members. Marshall was never really like a fit either. No, Marshall makes more sense in in the in the Tusa um, culturally. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, UCF Temple. 
uh, UMass are the, the former football members that are no longer in, in the league. If you want a, a really fun one, I was looking at the uh, the uh, was I looking at the Big Sky, I think, earlier. Uh, Big Sky Golf is one of the funniest <laughs> conferences of all time. Um, I need to find I need to find the full list. It's incredible. Um, we should probably continue with the conversation while I look this up. Yeah, but, that's fine. <laughs> I, so yeah, it, th- this uh, this year is weird again for the MAC. It always is. Um, Bowling Green, Bino Babers, former uh, employer, has seemingly looked like it's going to crater under two coaches. Uh, Scott Leffler, I mean, he's it's still early, but Leffler's just, I didn't think he was ready for this job. And uh, it seems like they've just like uh, swung and missed now twice, hiring like assistants that no one thought needed a, a head coaching job. Um, Akron is, has, has gone back to the depths that they, uh, they, they regularly inhabit. Unfortunately for them, seventeen game losing streak. It's not great. Yeah, it's, it's definitely. I like. I. I mean, I know that. Uh, I know that their coach, who uh, Tom Arth, is not gonna. Um, like you know, this is only his second season, but uh, I don't. I don't see him uh, surviving a, another year of not winning a game. It's like even Akron, like in, even in this environment, I just don't know how Akron pulls that off. Um, Kent State could contend atop the uh, atop the Mac East. I think a lot depends on what happens at a place like Buffalo. Um, you know, obviously Miami, Ohio's done a pretty good job under Chuck Martin. Uh, they kind of vacillate back and forth between like four and eight and like eight and four, um, and occasionally hit hit on six and six. Um, they were pretty solid last year, and really Miami, Ohio should be pretty solid just based on the state they're in. Um, Buffalo's done really well under Lance Leopold. He continues to bring in like solid talent on both sides of the ball. And I, I, I applaud them for really like embracing different styles and, and different approaches. And, and like, they've had some really impressive offensive players. They've had some really impressive, um, you know, NFL draft picks, like Buffalo's done a better job really uh, in, in recent years of like churning out um, like non-special teams talent than Syracuse has. Um, and, and that, that should be at least a little damning uh, for us. I would think, even though we're, we're big Dino Babers fans here. Um, and then obviously in the East, you know, Frank Solich continues to, to trudge along at Ohio. And, and I think Ohio is pretty much always a, uh, a contender atop the, uh, the, the division, which fun for Ohio fans. Um, I'm, hopefully, I'm hoping they have like a little bit of a down year, the, uh, the couple seasons we're facing them in the near future. It's incredible that Solich has not won a Mac yet, which I, I relearned this, uh, this evening before we got on like they've won the division four times um they've gone they haven't finished under 500 since 08 uh they've made a bowl uh, 10 of the last 11 years and they have not won the match they just keep on failing to do so it's actually kind of incredible but they're always in they haven't finished below third in the east since that 08 season um they finished first and second like most of those years it's it's uh their consistency is like impressive, especially for the Mac, where the turnovers just generally so crazy um, with coaches on, on either side of things. And, you know, that, that's like kind of the advantage of having an older, more experienced coach. But the fact that they haven't been able to break through and I don't even blame them. Like, I'm, it's not even like a knock. It's just just kind of wild that they keep on getting tripped up by one or two teams. Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about this, I think, on last year's show and probably the year before, too, uh, when we're previewing the Mac. And like, it, it, it's a weird league and that like everyone kind of gets a turn. Um, atop it and, and and Ohio just hasn't lately and but Ohio has consistently been a top four program 
in the league and been the most stable program in the league for the entirety of the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. But yeah, it just hasn't been able to climb the mountain all the way. Uh, and that's because there's been that hot coach or that hot program that has a couple, um, you know, really, you know, just solid seasons or, you know, if, it, if it's, it's not Toledo, it's Western Michigan or it's Central Michigan or Buffalo's had a couple good years in there. Um, obviously, like Temple had some good seasons uh, for a few years when they were in there. Uh, you can rattle off, you know, like Bowling Green, obviously, under both Clawson and Babers. Um there's there's been a lot i mean ball state had that random like 12 and 1 12 and 2 season um like 10 years ago there's just been so many like random blips um in the league that that, that have prevented um frank solich's ohio team from being able to kind of take that next step up from uh from the uh you know not also ran but you know the just kind of bridesmaid uh role and, and never able to uh to elevate to, to the to the proverbial bride I almost wonder if you trade it though, just because I think there's something like so comforting or like would be that like you roll into a season, you're like, you know, obviously we'd want to win one of these things eventually, but like, we're always going to be involved and there's something nice about that. Um, but I also think that, you know, on the other side of that coin, like you just down to get tortured by it. If you come so close at each and every year. Well, I like, I mean, I guess to, to put it in, in terms, this podcast would usually talk about, well, would you rather be the Mets or the Braves? That's fair. I mean, the Braves have won in my <laughs> lifetime, but like it was pretty early on. That's that's a fair one. Like, uh, yeah, uh, I I don't know. I don't know if uh, if if we're even. I guess who would the Mets be? Like, what specific MAC team is the Mets? Uh, Buffalo, probably. <laughs> Maybe. They could be Buffalo. Uh, that they could be the. Uh, they could be the Western Michigan uh, Fleck years. They could be. Um, I feel like Ball State is another potential Mets. And there's a lot of Metsy teams in the MAC, to be honest. Yeah, I would say they're not Ohio. Obviously, no. they're not Central Michigan. They're too consistent. Um, they're not. They're not Akron or Kent State either, though. Because no. like even at their worst, they're not usually like one of the worst like couple teams in the MLB. Right. Um, yeah, Western Michigan might be an interesting one where they like yeah, flare the, up. The, the, the Padres are, are, are Akron and, uh, and Kent State. <laughs> Yes, except that they're also willing to spend more, but that's a, a digression. <laughs> In any case, uh, Dan, who do you have winning the Mac East this year? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, Mac East, it's uh, like, I wanted to go against Ohio just because uh, they lose uh, Rourke, who was a really good quarterback for them. Um, their schedule is pretty good, but I don't know. There's something about this like run where I guess you can do either side of it and say like they're due to win. Uh, they're due to win the division and like actually win the conference for once or not. I, I actually like the the uh, potential at Buffalo though. Um, they return uh, a really really dynamic uh, running back, Jarrett Patterson, who ran for like almost 1,800 yards last year. I think Lance Leopold is like destined to get like one big shot in his coaching career, and like it's gonna happen soon. Um, their offensive line's a little bit of concern, but their their rest of their offense like takes a step forward to meet up with the running game. Um, the schedule stares me a little bit, but 
Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Buffalo just as like kind of a flyer. That's fair. Yeah, I think Buffalo just has to avoid like getting murdered early uh, at K-State um, and at Ohio State in September, three of four on the road in September as well. Um, they've also got Kent State and at Army to close out October. Um, so really even a good Buffalo team could be, you know, staring at four and four um, at the end of at the end of October and still have a pretty good shot uh, to win. But yeah, this closing schedule too, actually, now that I look at it, I don't know. At NIU, Miami, Ohio, at Ohio, at Western Michigan. I mean, do you see even a even like a top sixty Buffalo team getting out of this with more than six wins? Yeah, I guess that's the problem. Is the schedule might just like unless it's just like a, a superlative team, it might kind of prevent um, prevent them from being able to get to that those heights. And that's what you see a lot in the MAC. It's like a bad schedule can really be the difference from like a, a nine or ten win team and like a seven win team just because things are so clumped together. So yeah, maybe Buffalo is a little bit of a of a tough pick, but otherwise, I think I would probably go Ohio, um, Miami of Ohio. Just was like rode the rails so hard on the one store games last year. Um, Kent state, I think is just like also has a really brutal schedule. So I, I think Ohio is probably the default then um, though. I, you know, I, I, I will, I would love to say Kent state or Buffalo just to make it more interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to go to Ohio as well. Uh, we won't spend as much time on the West, but uh, all these programs are interesting or at least most of them are. Uh, Northern Illinois has been kind of the, uh, the picture of consistency um, over here. I think out of all the schools, uh, them and Toledo um, have really kind of found a way to year in and year out uh, be pretty solid. I know they had a step back last year at five and seven, uh, but I still think they're a solid contender. I really like Eastern Michigan under Chris Creighton. Um, I don't know like what the end game is for him there because realistically, like he's never, he's good enough to keep the job, but he's never good enough to get another one. Um, And I don't really know like what that means for EMU. Um, They're obviously getting better, but they're not necessarily like, getting like they're just going from being one of the 10 worst programs in college football to being one of like the 35 worst programs in college football, which is good because in the Mac that can mean a bowl game. But um, I don't necessarily think that like EMU is going to be winning a division. Um, Tim Lester continues to be uh, a pretty solid uh, coach and recruiter at like just Western Michigan in general, but at the same time, like WMU, um, Still, like, it's not that they can't get over hump, but they definitely, like, lose a lot of skill players this year and probably hitting reset on both sides of the ball to some extent. Um, looking at Toledo, I, I really like Jason Campbell, and I think last year's 6-6 six and six, uh, dip was kind of a fluke. I think Toledo usually has, like, the best skill players top to bottom um, in either division of the MAC, and I think right now, for me at least, like, they're the favorite to win this division. I think Ball State is consistently an enigma, and uh, I understand why they, you know, they just don't have the same talent base in state uh, that a lot of the other schools do. And then I think Jim McElwain is going to get seven or eight wins every year at Central Michigan. It's really just depending on where they are and against whom uh, they come. Because, like, realistically, this division is always going to come. Well, most years going to come down to, you know, Toledo, CMU, and WMU. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, I, I think WMU just loses a little bit too much. Um, and it's also always going to be tough for me to like totally ban on Tim Lester. Um, I know he's done a pretty nice job there following up Fleck, but um, this year I think we're going to learn a lot about him as a head coach with like losing some of the talent he loses. Um, 
I think Toledo just has the talent edge. Uh, they had a, a down 2019, but that was with like really bad injuries and some some tough luck. Um, I think they they are uh, pretty primed to bounce back and at least get like to the eight win mark. And and I don't know, Ball State just it's tough for me to buy into Ball State or CMU. Um, I know they they were both a little more balanced last year, but uh, there's just something about both of those programs where I don't have like long term faith. Um, Maybe Jim McElwain can do the thing where he just kind of has like a nice career resurgence at CMU. Although I, I kind of expect him to try to jump back up to a big job um, if he can have another couple big years here. But uh, now I'm going to ride with Toledo. I think Candle is just really well set up. He's recruited in, extremely well for the MAC level, um, and they should have some explosive players if they can figure out the quarterback situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at CMU's schedule. Uh, they got back-to-back road trips at Nebraska and at Northwestern. In September, uh, tough road games at Toledo, at Kent State, at EMU, at NIU. Um, so even like a good team um, with Chippewas might really struggle. Meanwhile, Toledo's schedule for 2020, um, still at Michigan State, uh, and they face San Diego State um, at the glass ball. But Tulsa, uh, road games in conference, Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan, NIU, uh, and Akron, so a little bit easier than CMU. Like you said, though, I'm still going Toledo. I, I think that that they they lose the least um, overall, and I think that they're just schedule wise too. They're just the best equipped to to take this division, even if it's just for the five and three mark. That San Diego State at Toledo is just like an all time great. Like who decided on this college football game? Honestly, that's like a as far as like the, like if you had like a mid major bracket um, from the last like ten years, like. SDSU Toledo is like definitely like high on the list of like, oh yeah, I totally want to watch that. Oh, it'll be a super fun game that like not nearly enough people. What week is it? I think it's like week two, maybe week three. I don't know the schedule offhand well enough, but I, I hope that's like, I kind of hope it's like a down week just because that'd be a really fun one to be able to pay attention to. And I'm like kind of a, a worried a little bit buried. I mean, it definitely could. And it depends on where it's aired too. Like since it's like, I mean, yeah, it depends on where it's aired. I mean, thankfully it's not like, if it was a San Diego State home game, it'd definitely get buried on like Facebook. But since it's not, I'm hoping that like the Max. Well, actually, no, it's probably going to get buried on ESPN Plus. Let's be real. Yeah, that sounds about right. Boo. Anyway, uh, so Dan, it sounds like we both had the Battle of Ohio in the uh, the MAC Championship game. Who do you have, uh, Ohio or Toledo? Um, I'm going to talk myself into Ohio. If I'm going to like get, if I'm going to force myself into picking them and be boring, I'm going to then pick them to actually win the match for the first time. Now that I've completely flipped on Buffalo, uh, as you had me see the light with their schedule. <laughs> I mean, I didn't tell Lance Leopold to schedule himself to the ground. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't expect that he was trying to do this, but yes. Yes. I'm, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure the previous coach scheduled himself. Although you never know at this point. I mean, Leopold's been there long enough where he might have done this. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to know. I, he and Creighton, I think, are just like a really interesting test case just because of how their careers went. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I hope to, I hope to see them get shots just because they've had such interesting trajectories. But um, going back to like the the coaching carousel discussion, like it's this this whole this year, I think could throw a real wrench into guys like that's careers, unfortunately. Yeah, guys like that. I mean, realistically, like Leopold, Leopold had more success than Creighton, but I think Leopold, like you would assume that like SU has him high on the list, but I wouldn't necessarily, not because I don't like what he's done at Buffalo or don't like him, um, 
I just think that we're probably better off with an up and coming coach that has more of a brand closer to, to Dino and, and what he's done. But, you know, I, I could be completely wrong. I mean, who really knows too, like what situation we're in when Dino eventually leaves by one way or another. Um, it's probably, it's, like, it's not even worth speculating about um, at this juncture, but yeah, like who knows too, like what, what the, again, what the hiring market looks like, like, you know, Clay Helton looked like a lame duck now, suddenly he might not be. Um, there's just, yeah, I, I agree with you that what you're saying earlier that I just don't see too many jobs open this, uh, this off season. Yeah. It's going to be a really fascinating one. Um, I, I can't wait for USC to be the only open job. I, I would not like that <laughs> just because, because a, I'd have to hear about it all the time out here and B, um, I got a feeling I know one of their first calls. Yep. Anyway, such is the price of success. Correct. Dan, anything else before we depart today? No, I think that's about it. Uh, Good to to have some actual Syracuse stuff to talk about uh, in a pretty large way this week. A lot of of fun stories taking hold. Yeah, thanks, News. This was good. I I definitely enjoyed uh, having a lot of SU stuff to talk about, and we've had a lot of SU stuff up on the site. Uh, It's it's been a busy week. This was uh, was probably the busiest week we've had since – well, maybe not since – um quarantine started but i think at least since like mid-april yeah and no, i think that's right anyway i'm sure everyone's riveted now um dan thank you as always for joining uh always appreciate it yes good to be on excited to talk to everyone again next week yep i'm sure we'll have more we don't know what the news will bring but we'll have uh, plenty to discuss also be discussing the mountain west um the other conference that i pay at least some semblance of attention to along with the acc um given my uh, in-law ties to the San Diego State Aztecs. So we'll be able to talk about the other side of this Toledo-San Diego State game next week. Yes, I can't wait to forget that we discussed it this week and look at the schedule like, oh, why is it happening? That's weird. (laughs) Zero chance I forget. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, um, Overcast, wherever you might listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.